GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Back on the rock and recovering after a high-profile excursion to La Linea, the young male macaque is under observation and doing well, according to vet Mark Pizarro, who'll join us in just a moment. And what to name the monkey, Ben Lynch and Radio Gibraltar are leading that conversation. We'll catch up with Ben also. It's Tinnitus Awareness Week. Tinnitus severely diminishes the quality of life for one in six people. Edgar Triay suffers from tinnitus and also heads the Hearing Issues and Tinnitus Association. And he'll be here to tell us about their Tea for Tinnitus campaign. But first, Together Gibraltar says the Chief Minister's response to criticism over the Principal Auditor's report is concerning check our previous podcasts in previous days for coverage of that report on the administration of public finances. So together, Gibraltar's verdict is that the attitude displayed by Fabian Picardo is a disservice to the hard work of the principal auditor who has, according to the political party, been unequivocal about the mismanagement and poor value for money in the public service. And together, Gibraltar's Nick Calamaro is here. Good afternoon, Mr. Calamaro. Let's start with your overall impressions of the Principal Auditor's report. So the overwhelming thought for us was coming at it from two angles. One is the deep unfairness that we're seeing across multiple government departments, very many areas, um, and the, what the effect that, that has on people at work. I mean, if you're seeing someone taking call-outs with no documentation, earning more money for, that call, for those call-outs than a nurse makes in a single month, then obviously that has a deep impact on the morale. But the other angle we're coming at it from is that that has a trickle-down effect on the quality of our public services, and we think very strongly that this report is a vindication, actually, of the fact that our public services are suffering quite deeply because of this mismanagement and this lack of accountability. So what role do or should ministers, what role do you think ministers have in this? So so we've, we've been very clear in all of our communications that we think the role of ministers is actually quite inappropriate in most of these departments. Ministers should be there to set a high-level strategy to manage to, to, and to take accountability for things like the budget. What we can't have is, minister, is ministers taking... Um, decisions on behalf of civil servants as if they were the experts. And actually, it's even worse than that, because we're seeing that the ministers themselves, in many cases, are actually totally absent. I mean, it's ridiculous for the chief minister to have to step in to a department that's the portfolio of another minister to um, manage what he's called excessive overtime in that department. I mean, why should he be personally aware? One instance that we saw as well was the minister personally having to sign off for invoices for a project in the Ministry of Sport that had gone three times over budget. I mean, that should not be the role of a chief minister at all, in our view. So um, how do you square that then? What, 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 what's happening? What's going wrong? So for us, it's just a total... It's two things. It's a lack of accountability, but it's also a lack of organisational management for these civil service departments. I mean, as I say, the role of a minister should be there to set the high-level strategy. They should not be... Um, implementing changes themselves. And we can look at the leave because overtime leave and um, leave not being documented has been a consistent theme across many government departments. And my question would be, in a well-run organisation, 
even one the size of the civil service or bigger, you should have one um, HR system, you should have one leave booking system, and then that can be administered and put in place by the experts within the departments. We're not asking for the chief minister to learn programming and implement a um, HR system. We're asking him to allow the the HR experts, the IIT experts, who are already in the civil service, to do that. And then he should be there, or ideally the other ministers should be there, to take about accountability for when things do go wrong. So um, is, is there also sort of... Uh, th- we we know what that as, as you say that the ministers should be um, sort of policy makers and setting uh, you know setting the direction but not getting involved in the day to day management of those departments but they have been criticised by for example uh, the GGCA um, the Civil Service Union a General and Clerical Association for. Um, for, for sort of muddying the waters and at times acting as if they were heads of department when there are actual civil servants who are heads of departments and are financial controllers for that department. Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely, and that creates two problems. For one, you have the clear conflicts of, of interest that, we again, we've seen multiple instances of in the auditor's report where projects haven't been... Um, properly either services haven't been procured through proper tender processes or contracts have been agreed directly by ministers and that's totally inappropriate and creates a conflict of interest. But the other problem that has is that it totally disempowers the people working in these departments who are just trying to do a good job but are constantly having to tiptoe around ministers who have political goals as well as organisational goals and we think that should be totally separated so that the people who come into work can just focus on doing a good job and know that they will be protected by their managers and there will be systems in place so that they are following the rules. I mean, again, to take it to the example, we had the chief executive of the GSLA refusing to sign invoices because he, obviously, you don't want to sign invoices for a project that's gone three times over budget, but then that has to go to the minister and the minister is the one saying, no, that's totally fine. That's not how you get good results, where one person... And, and we're talking about one person. This is the chief minister. This is not the minister for sport. Has to end up making every decision in Gibraltar. And that is a risk to our public services. And it disempowers the many people who are just trying to do a good job in these departments. So you think that uh, the report is, is is suggesting that the chief minister is playing uh, too much. He, he's centralised certain decisions too much and, and, and is effectively getting involved in things that he shouldn't. Yeah, I, I don't think the report is suggesting it. I think the report is saying quite clearly and gives multiple instances where, for example, with the Medoc case that was reported on a couple of days ago, um, he states very clearly that he believes that for the best value for money and for the best provision of service, um, that should have gone through government procurement because they are the experts in that kind of decision making. Now, it sounds very dry when I call it provision of service, but what I'm saying is the well-being of our elderly relatives, the people we love and care about. And when we hear stories about people having their carers changed at a moment's notice, it's a direct result of this failure of decision making. So what do you make of the Chief Minister's response to the Principal Auditor's report so far? So so as we said in our piece, we think it's totally arrogant, which is particularly sad when um, following his very the very close general election, he seemed to accept some amount of humility for, and accept and accountability for things that had gone wrong. But now he's full back in spin mode, almost trying to... I mean, he did call it a vindication of his decision-making 
Now, regardless of the state of overtime in the civil service, which may I just say has not been solved, there are still over three million pounds in um, emergency overtime across just the top departments. But we think that him say him saying that it is his personal responsibility to sort overtime in every government department is just a system gone totally wrong. And as we've highlighted, that then has knock on effects. I mean, when you can't get a booking at the, at the GHA, when your blood tests get lost and you have to go again, when your ID card takes months to arrive, these are all direct consequences of that arrogance, essentially, in decision-making that one person should be responsible for the functioning of all these complex departments. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Back on the rock and recovering after a high-profile excursion to La Linea is the young male macaque um, that uh, has so captured our attention in recent days. He's under observation, he's doing well, and vet Mark Pizarro is here uh, to, to give us a little bit more. Um, and, and I sh- should say, Mark, that uh, there's been a lot of interest in the macaque and also a lot of um, sort of congratulations um, to you for, for managing to, to bring him back safely. You and the team. And the team. Damien and Dale. Team, yeah. yeah. It was a team effort, definitely. <laughs> uh, but how is that macaque doing today? He's doing very well. No problem at all. He's fully recovered. He's fed and watered now. And uh, we'll probably re- release it within the next 24, 48 hours. Okay, so um, the a sedative used, I suppose, is a, a tranquilizer dart, standard? Yeah, standard. Standard. Ketamine dose for macaques seems what, what works best for these beasts. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah, as you saw yesterday and everybody else saw, it was, it was just a question of darting and hopefully getting, and thankfully getting a, a good shot, basically. And and you you got there eventually, no? Got there eventually. It was yeah. a long six hours, yes. <laughs> um, I know that, um, you know, we, we've spoken to you, uh, yesterday was Tuesday, we spoke to you Monday night, um, and, and you sort of, you know, got the call that, that they were, the Spanish authorities were, were asking for your assistance. Uh, talk us through how, how yesterday went and, and, and how smoothly the operation ran. Well, obviously, we got to the border yesterday morning, 8.30, tried to sort out the, any paperwork they needed doing. I mean, there, was, there was a few things which you had to to iron out. Um, obviously, taking a loaded gun into 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 a foreign country carried its own issues. And in theory, we should not be able to, to, to transport it. But they managed to wangle it, and I think there was there was communication from the very top. And after that, it just went very smoothly. Um, you know the the you know, very very forthcoming the Guardia Civil and the Policia Nacional and the, the head of customs at the border, the Spanish border, and they were you know it facilitated. I mean, we had an escort of Guardia Civil because I had a, a loaded weapon um, throughout, so I had my own personal bodyguard um, following me around. But you know, it, it, to be honest, the, you couldn't have asked for better. I mean, the the way they worked and worked with us, it was, it was very good. It was, because they have their own environmental branch, and and they were part of the operation. Basically, the Guardia Civil, the Policia. They just didn't have the equipment, to be honest with you. Um, they didn't have the equipment or the, or the expertise at hand. They called somebody from Castilla Sioux, but then, I mean, what I've heard, they've got equipment in other places, but then they haven't got the 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 people, the professionals to 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 work with this equipment. I suppose we're different because we have. A team, twenty-four hours a day, who who are on a macaque. So therefore, we are 
we you know we have the expertise and we have the equipment at hand to do this sort of thing because we deal with it on a on a pretty much a daily basis. Whereas in Spain, obviously, they they don't have macaques. They don't have macaques. <laughs> they don't have wild monkeys roaming the country. So therefore, therefore, it's not something that they're really tuned in for. I mean, it makes perfect sense, really, not to to have brought you in as as somebody who sort of uh, plays such a prominent role locally with the management of the macaques to to be involved in recovering the, this macaque. Uh, but I think a lot of people were, were very pleasantly surprised to hear you uh, report back that it had all gone so smoothly and that uh, and that you'd been able to to work together so well. Yeah, I mean, I was astonished as well. I mean, I was, you know, I was it's their country, so therefore it's what their rules, and I was quite happy to go by whatever thing they whatever they decided on. Uh, but they, you know, they were, I think they were very grateful that we sent our team over there, and we had our guys there. Uh, Damon Dale and myself, and you know, I think we were the main main protagonists in in the in the capture of it. To be honest with you, well, I was going to say, I mean, um, credit to to Dale Lawer and Damon Holmes. It, it was when the monkey eventually sort of rested on on the tree. It was actually Damien who who knew how to hold him and bring him down. No? You got to be aware that ninety nine percent of the population will never get to handle the monkey or. It's not something that that is done regularly, so therefore it is a novelty for the majority of people. So you don't, you wouldn't know how to handle it. So obviously, Damon and Dale are, and therefore, you know, remember that you know they were very very keen to have the picture taken of the monkey as well. What <laughs> <laughs> the the Spanish police? Yes, and, yeah, of course. It's it's also it's a, it's it's quite a heartwarming story. I'm I'm really glad it it ended well, as I, you know a lot of people, or I'm sure everybody is, uh, because at one point when um, our cameraman Donovan Torres, who who was with you, uh, when he sent back a, a sort of photograph and a video of the monkey high up, maybe I don't know, it was two two stories up. Uh, and and he was telling us that there were efforts, not by you, but I think by um, uh, some of the Spanish authorities, to perhaps dart him when he was up high. Uh, that there was some concern at that moment. There was concern. I mean, it's it's always a concern when you're darting macaques. It happens here. I mean, even when we dart macaques here, we've sometimes you have to run an element of risk. Um, it's you know sometimes you just have to. Toss a coin in the air and hopefully get the fall. Hopefully it falls on the right on the right side for you. And thankfully, yesterday it did. Okay, so so then, um, what once you once you've darted the the macaque, how long does it take for that ketamine to to sort of completely tranquilize and sedate uh, the animal so that he, he he's it depends very much where you where you where the where the entry point is. If it's a very vascular uh, tissue and you, you hit the darts in you know good good muscle group, then the knockdown is very quick because the rate of absorption is very quick. If you knock it, if you hit, you might, if you have to hit in the in the abdomen or peritoneum, then the absorption is a bit slower, and therefore you don't get that rapid knockdown or you don't get full absorption, which happened with our first dart. Our first dart went in, um, and I believe. It, partially bounced off a bone so the, the animal was only partly sedated um, sadly um, so therefore we, we weren't able to catch it although it was a bit groggy we couldn't catch it um, but obviously the last start we, no, it's, it went straight into a major, a major muscle mass and it went down within four or five minutes it was down and we saw you um, 
I think, trying to conceal the the pistol uh, with your helmet as you raise it up. Is is that because the, the monkey is smart enough to, to know what's yeah, happening? Yeah, it's something I've learned over the years. Um, if you if if you point anything at an animal, it's you know, even a monkey, anything else, it's gonna it's, it's automatically it's gonna be it's gonna set off warning lights. Whereas if you disguise it next to a helmet, which ha- always happens to be at hand, because that's what we move around here in jib with a helmet, and it it works very well, and the helmet works as a stabilizer for the gun as well. So it's it does it has a has a dual a dual action. So it works it works really well. So they can't identify the pointed object at them with with the helmet. Okay, so so then uh, the the macaque is sedated up on the tree. Damien brings him down, manages to put him back in the the Gibraltar plated uh, vehicle. Um, what what what's said among you and the and, and the uh, and the Spanish officials? Oh, I mean, we saw some high fives and it felt like Christmas at that point. To be honest with you. <laughs> Everybody was a bit elated. They were as elated as we were, I think, as you can see some some of the footage that's gone out there. Um, honestly, it was it was it was, it was a semi bonding moment. Yeah, who would, who would have said bonding moment with the Guardia Civil and Policia Nacional? <laughs> Good for you. Well, we, we got to take the wins, you know, when they come. Um, and, uh, and 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 yeah, I mean, we as I say, we, we were also concerned not just for the monkeys. Uh, health, but also we thought if if it doesn't end well, does it also could could the incident also um, you know uh, put some pressure, put some strain on the relationship, on the cross frontier relationship because they put in a lot of resources to try and recover the monkey. You know? I mean that was, to be honest, probably most of my worry yesterday. To be honest with you, because obviously you're dealing with what you're doing. Um, but on the top of that, you know, you're dealing with a major political issue. So we haven't doubted this monkey ends up further further inland because it wasn't looking at all to come back to Jib. It was facing north every time. The movement of that monkey was away from Jib all the way. They had no intentions. It wasn't even making an effort to go back towards the rock. So and and you you said yesterday you weren't surprised by that because males at that age they're what they're not the dominant male but they're not young enough to be the cute sort of baby macaque either and they're sort of finding their place and in limbo so therefore you're always going to get these male often they form male groups um, I mean most people in Jib have seen them at some point the, often the incursions into town aren't the pack the little sort of male sort of peripheralized group of monkeys which have nowhere to go, not part of the main pack, and looking for their own territory. And if you're looking for their own territory, you look across the border, it's a big territory there. Little does he know that there's no monkeys over there. Because he might also be looking for mates? Well, that's what he'd be doing, he's looking for his own pack. Pack? Oh, okay, so pack, a partner, but but more generally No, not partners, they work in packs. Monkeys aren't individual, you know, they don't, you know, they don't live in couples, they form packs. The, 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 the structure of a pack is around the, the matri lines always. So you might have one or two matri lines in a pack. It's like two family groups. Like, okay. You know, Scots or the Bissato. So you have two family groups within the same pack. And then if, the, if that matri line gets larger, then it forms two separate groups. As you get larger, as the families get larger. Same as humans. Yeah, like families, like uh, families spreading are, DNA. And then, and, and then you need new males. You can't breed within your males within the group. Otherwise, you end up with genetic def- deformities, hereditary problems, etc., etc. 
and that's a natural way of 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 the species looking after its gene pool. Of course. Okay, so its behaviour was quite normal. I mean, did did you feel at any point that um, you know the the attention and and the social pressure might lead to the macaque becoming aggressive? It will become aggressive in certain circumstances, but macaques aren't aren't they're not aggressive animals. The bites that we get in the upper rock, etc., aren't because aren't the fault of the macaques. The general rule is there's a fault of human intervention doing what they shouldn't be doing. So therefore, if you'd corner the monkey and try to catch it, hold on to it, then it would bite you. But it won't aggressively jump at you to two bite you. If that makes sense? Sure. And I suppose that you will have, uh, and, and Damien and Dale would have communicated this to, to the, the Spanish um, officials who were, would have been less used I, to the behaviour of the monkeys. Well, I think, that, I think they pretty much learned by watching us more than anything else. I don't think there was any specific words spoken, but I think they realised quite quickly what they could that do. You what. knew what you were doing and they should just follow your lead. That's basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and, and um, you know, in trying to understand how it how it happened, uh, you, you explained that the, there are more buildings now in the north district of Gibraltar uh, which allow for easier passage for macaques from the Upper Rock um, and, and now also via the Kingsway Tunnel, they can get all the way to the frontier, um, uh, largely, you know, sort of without having to, to cross anything that they might be, you know, worried about crossing. Yeah, it's, it's created a, an avenue, effectively, which we've never had before, and that's why we've never had this issue before. You go remember, quite, you know, good 10 years ago, so we used to have major packs of monkeys going down to Coletta and along that area there before of this new construction. I mean, if that bridge had been there when those monkeys went down, you know, we'd have had a, a major incident. But now we've created, we have got a path which which we need to guard against and which I think is a problem which we, which management team will have going forward, which we need. Now we're aware of it. You have to think about how to deter them, no? Mm. So that's the next thing forward. You know, you've got to work out how, how best to keep out. We've already started patrols in that area as of as of now, basically, as of sure. yesterday, um, where we're having patrols, the macaque team, in that area. So any any so any incursions into that area of Eaton Park or any of that area there will be will be addressed quickly. Okay, Mark, before we let you go, um, we, we've started talking because so many of us are talking about the macaque and, and, uh, and, and thought, well, uh, what's his name? And, and he doesn't have a name yet, does he? He has no name as yet, no. Yeah. We discussed various uh, alternatives yeah. yesterday, but we'll... Some, some of them had to be off camera, but... <laughs> <laughs> but um, and, and off microphone. But uh, we brought in Ben because, because he sort of latched onto it yesterday. Good afternoon to Ben Lynch. Um, and and was asking the public, and and really there was an overwhelming amount of interest in it, no Ben? Yeah, it was just one of those things where um, when it was announced that uh, that he had been captured, um, I mentioned it on air, and uh, I'd seen all the the reports and and things, and um, and it, it being referred to as the macaque or it or him, and I just like kind of as a throwaway link, I just said, oh, we should give it a name. And uh, the response <laughs> has just been overwhelming. And um, 
so this kind of developed throughout the afternoon. Then um, uh, Christine Vasquez came down and said, I've spoken to John Cortes. He's happy for us to officially name <laughs> the macaque. So I'm, I'm feeling a bit anxious because now it's just nice feels pressure. like... pressure. That's not just like, like a, a radio big, throwaway. No? Mark's done his bit. What are you doing about this? Eh? I'm going to christen <laughs> the monkey. Um, yeah, I'm a bit anxious about it. It's a big responsibility. Uh, loads of people getting in touch with brilliant suggestions. Um, I, I just love how the community have kind of um, rallied around this and decided, yeah, we, we're going to name this monkey and, and brought, given us loads of suggestions. I'm going to play a very short clip, uh, just in, in case Mark hasn't heard this, to get a flavour of, of the sort of suggestions that are coming through. Why not call him El Fugitivo? The Harrison Ford yes, of Macaques. The Fugitive. Just call him Harrison. Ah, yes! <laughs> Tintin. Tintin, the adventures of Tintin. Tintin, eh? So he's been cast as an adventurer, as a, as a fugitive... That, that's a, um, Curious George is Curious another one that George. we've had a few times, no? Uh, Mark, uh, we, we've, Mark has been suggested. I know. <laughs> mm, mm, not sure about that one. <laughs> uh, we've had uh, King Louis, Captain Mac Sparrow instead of Jack Sparrow because he's a macaque. Mac- nice. Um, obviously, nice, nice. Uh, uh, Mackie Muck. Cack face. <laughs> this is after, <laughs> after um, the, the boaty boat, boat face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In Scotland. Huh? Yeah. Um, uh, Bob Neal, chairman of the all party parliamentary group on Gibraltar. He's stepping down, so maybe it'll be a nice kind. Of... <laughs> Sorry, I'm half coughing, half laughing. I heard I heard a few other um, political ones this morning on the breakfast show as well. Um, we, we've we've had Heather before. You continue. Heather has uh, just got in touch with us. This is these are Heather's thoughts. I think. Tariq would be a very appropriate name, especially since Gibraltar gets its name from Gibraltariq, and we owe the presence of our present Barbary apes to the Moorish occupation of Gibraltar. So I think it would be a good idea if we remembered that and called him Tariq. Thank you, Heather. So, so a lot of thinking going on along yeah. uh, around this. Yeah, well, I, I've been I've been thinking a bit about it as well, and um, I think if we if we named him after a major celebrity this could make it into the international press like if we <laughs> if we named him taylor swift uh, anybody doing a search for taylor swift <laughs> clicks news <laughs> this story will be up there somewhere so it, it could really kind Wait of to catapult this story and make yeah, it international yeah um and i was also thinking like because uh because the the monkey left gibraltar went to la Lina, um and because of the uh, the work that people from both sides of the border put into this, I think it's it's a really kind of good way of highlighting how how we can work together, and there is common ground there. And I was thinking about uh, things like the Gibraltar and, and La Lina having common words that we share that are unique to this area. Like, that would be um, very nice. Likirva, Garne Gombi, Yersi, Mebli. Like know, it. Those are good. Like that. And 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 that that could in turn that could be the clincher for the the treaty. Yeah. So the, oh my goodness! This this monkey is going to take on yeah, like th- this monkey. It's going to be the first monkey to be knighted, Mark. It's going to be alongside your ceremony. <laughs> It, it could. You could, could, could go to negotiations as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be that olive branch <laughs> that, that really kind of tips it over the edge. 
<laughs> We've had a, a suggestion. Somebody's just called in. We didn't get their name, but um, they suggested Schengen could be another one for uh, for obvious reasons as well. But um, uh, what, what a lovely story. Um, ben, you're going to continue this conversation on Radio Gibraltar this afternoon? Yes, uh, we will continue taking suggestions. Uh, we will narrow it down to a short list, and then I think what we're going to do is put it on social media and uh, as a poll and people can vote for, for How democratic. Favorite. Yeah, I, I just, basically because I just don't want the responsibility. <laughs> I don't want it to land on me at the end. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. The Hearing Issues and Tinnitus Association is marking Tinnitus Week from now through until Sunday. A number of establishments are supporting a T for Tinnitus uh, campaign and, uh, and we'll get a little bit more on that now from Edgar Triay. Good afternoon, Edgar. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, uh, an important week to, to mark. Tinnitus is... Uh, it, it's in the name of the association for a reason. Yeah, uh, I'm the reason. <laughs> I'm a tinnitus sufferer myself. Uh, it's, uh, the, the tinnitus is what brought me into this uh, into this world of hearing laws and, and everything that comes with it. And yeah, we've been campaigning from you know since we we formed the the charity and we and we you know we're constantly raising awareness to give support to people who need it and always always striving to make inroads so we there's better care and be, and better in, uh, medical intervention for people suffering from from tinnitus in this case. Yeah, I mean tomorrow we're going to speak to. Anselmo Torres about his journey trying to get help for his late wife Grace's uh, tinnitus. But um, from the association's perspective, what help is available? For the, the association's perspective, there's not much help available. And part of the problem of, having, of establishing consistent help and continuity of help is the fact that the the adult ENT that we that we have in place in the DHA, that that position it's it's a it's a, under the budget it's it's a it's a locum it's not a, it's a temporary position well, that by, for everybody to understand is basically that uh, the the professional ENT is only employed for on a short time contract of maybe three years and they might not be renewed and they will bring someone else. Obviously, if we don't have a, a, a permanent ENT to taking care of existing patients, you know, the aftercare and, and the, uh, the treatment, it, it is affected. Um, we made inroads that some people are referred to the UK for, for tinnitus. Um, but we do feel that there needs to be more of an interdisciplinary approach in in in, in Gibraltar, between the the ENT department, the audiologists, and the uh, me mental health as well, because so, so most they, most they don't talk to each other enough. Well, um, and not not only that they don't talk to each other, but there has to be like a a pathway, an established pathway, to for a, a, once a person is diagnosed, they can co coordinate with each other to give a custom made uh, therapy and treatment for. For that particular person, because it has to be custom made. One size doesn't fit all. Some people uh, they manage to adjust the the tinnitus and cope with with that sound um, promptly. Maybe after two months of experiencing it, and other people they just can't, and they and they need that extra care. 
uh, and support and, and, and guidance. Claro. And uh, from a personal perspective, how much of an issue and how de debilitating, uncomfortable has your tinnitus been? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. We got enough time to 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 go over that, but I I, I can say that my my first three years of experiencing tinnitus was really hard and I, I was in a dark place. It totally, I was always a very social animal. I, I liked going to, to concerts and nightclubs. And, and I just, some, in my case, uh, since I had tinnitus, my, my, my hearing got uh, sensitized. So I couldn't cope with hearing loud sounds. And before being introduced about the existence of products like acoustic earplugs, you know, I found it really hard to actually uh, go back and socialize again. So I became a, a, an introvert and just stayed uh, with, with, me, with my wife at, at home. So, um, but yeah, but now I'm, I'm on a different place. I've, I've learned uh, uh, from my experiences others have benef benefit, benefited from. And they see me as an example. I hope they see me as an example that, you know, having tinnitus is not the end. But there is a, it, there is, it is a journey, and sometimes it's a, for some people it's a longer journey than others, but you can go over that bridge and, and get your life back. So we, we played a, a short um, bit of sound, which is what we understand. I mean, there's different, I suppose, types of tinnitus that different people hear. Yeah. Um, if, if somebody's just joining us, uh, this is more or less what we think it may sound like. Obviously, those are quite different, Edgar, but it gives a sense of uh, how difficult it must be for yeah, an alien because it's, you know, it's it's inside your head. That's it's generated by your brain, so scientists say. So, uh, and it's basically you're robbed of silence. You know, you, you can have a bad day, or you just want to catch your sleep at the end of the night, and this is what you hear. <clears throat> so basically, you have to. It's a lot of a. A lot of mind game into it to actually being able to put that sound behind you and focus on other things so it doesn't ab absorb your attention because it is an attention animal. So this week, uh, T for Tinnitus, uh, a campaign supported by Corks, the Royal Gibraltar Regiment's new association club, uh, John McIntosh Cafeteria, the Tea Company, the Royal Garbe, the Clipper. Plenty of places in Plenty town. Plenty of places. Uh, 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 we're quite fortunate. Uh, uh, it's been more successful in, in, in uh, getting that support that than what I expected from, especially since, you know, since, um, you know, economy-wise, economy things are hard by. Claro. You know, some pe some Diffi business, difficult yeah. time, no? Yeah. Um, and every penny counts, but uh, but I'm sure you're grateful for the support and it's nice just to bring a bit of focus as well uh, and know that if you're going to have a cup of tea, that this is supporting a campaign for, for people who who suffer. With yeah, tinnitus. it raises awareness. The the people who suffer tinnitus, they feel that people are starting to understand them, what they're going through, they're, and it's because it's a silent ordeal that you know, only them themselves truly know the difficulty they they have in life, and and with the money raised, we are intending of 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 using it to to encourage the research in, in tinnitus. 
Brilliant. Yeah, because at the moment there is no cure, and uh, and the really true cure is to prevent tinnitus. And the way to prevent it is to protect your your ears into to loud sounds. And we think that one in six people have sort of really yeah. difficult tinnitus. No, indeed. So a lot of a lot of people in Gibraltar walking around now, and if they're listening to you, they know what you're going through, and and and, and they know the importance of it. And this. when uh, Anselmo will speak with you with with uh, Grace's journey, it will come to light uh, because uh, Grace was a dear friend of mine, and she was one of the the few Gibraltarians that really had a, a really bad and chronic uh, tinnitus. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.